Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly Billinghurst. And today, of course, I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Mr. Serge Boudreaux. Serge, how are you? Faithful. That's a new one. I like that, that one. <laughs> Perfect. Shelly, I'm doing really well. I've talked to you a lot recently, so I'm going to shut yeah. it down right now. I just wanted to be You don't guest. want to talk to me. No, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> That's so, okay. Okay. I've known our guest for a couple of years, Chris Russell. Chris is the mad scientist of online recruitment, the founder of RecTech Media, and he runs around 10 different recruitment companies. So we're going to talk about that. Welcome, Chris. Excited to have you on the show. I'm glad to be back. I was on one of your first episodes, so as a faithful listener. Yeah, you were on our, I think, third episode, which seems like decades ago. So great to have you again. You did such a great job that we decided just to bring you by yourself this time. When was it? Like a year ago or so? It was. Over a year. Yeah, Yeah. it was over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shelly, I have have a question for you as a um, faithful listener of the Recruiting Flex. I want to know, did you buy the car and what did you buy? I did. And I will tell you. It was not the brand that I thought I was going to buy. And I will tell you, it had everything to do with the experience, how I was treated and how well-prepared and how smart the sales guy was salesperson sales rep. Mm -hmm. It was a guy. It was a guy. It, It does seem to be a very male dominated. I think in all the dealerships that I visited, I only saw one female salesperson. I did buy, I ended up going with the Acura. I did not think I would buy an Acura, but these guys really came to the table. So thank you very much for asking. Yes. I I still think you should have bought a PT Cruiser. That seems like the type of car that goes well (laughs) with you. Oh my goodness. No, it's just not my vibe. (laughs) It's just not. Chris, thank you for listening, for being a faithful listener and uh, for picking up on that. Chris, uh, thanks as again for coming back, for talking to us. And I know you and I belong to an elite group of former co-hosts of the Chat and Cheese podcast. That's right. Oh, and Serge, I think you did. No, no, you've not, right? I don't think Serge has been invited on. But anyways, Chris, you and I have been co-hosts. Um, nice dig, nice dig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big a star. Oh, I'm too big. Right. There's no way they right. can't contain my ego. Yes. So they did not invite me. It's okay. <laughs> so Chris, let's jump into what I um, love talking to you about. The first thing I want to talk about with you is rejecting candidates. Because I know in my career as a, a practitioner in recruitment, Do you know the biggest thank yous I've gotten from candidates were those that I rejected, those that didn't get the job. And I've always believed in my heart that there is an art to this and there is so much good karma to give someone, even though you're rejecting them, the kindness of saying no. Yes. Because now they can move on with their lives. Give us what your take is on rejecting candidates and, and what are some of the things that in your experience, you believe we should all be doing? Well, it sounds like you're doing some of that on your own there, Shelly. So I give you kudos for rejecting properly. But I've been writing about rejection for a long time. It's a pet peeve of mine in terms of the uh, the rejection email. And uh, words matter in these things. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, for too long, companies have 
just relied on that template that comes with the ATS and they don't give two seconds thought to what's written in that. But if you actually take the time to create an empathetic sounding rejection email and then do rejection, which I'll explain, yeah. it goes a long way towards towards that candidate's perception of you. So I'm going to read you a quick example of what I think is a great rejection email, if I could. It's on okay. the uh, Rejabify blog. Love. Let's do it. So the candidate says, he posts on social media, this is the nicest rejection letter I've ever seen. I'm not even mad that I didn't get the role, but I prefer to manage my expectations towards reality rather than hope so I don't get disappointed. And here's what the rejection letter says. And it's only three sentences, basically. So it doesn't have to be this huge, long mm -hmm. explanation. It says, hi, candidate name. We want you to know that a human being, in, in parentheses me, has evaluated your information and that we greatly appreciate you spending your valuable time taking an interest in this role. To set expectations with you and not leave you feeling like you are in a black hole of disrespect, the response to our posting has been strong and we may, not be, we may not be able to circle back with you if we continue to see the current volume of highly accomplished executives from the technology industry, even though technology experience is not required. Thanks again. And if we don't touch base further, I wish you the best of luck in your search. Simple, to the point, empathetic, great tone, uh, simple explanation. That just goes a long way towards uh, setting the expectation of a rejected candidate yeah. overall. And that's, I think, a great example. I can feel it. Like I, I sit in the candidate's chair or the applicant and that acknowledgement that you've not been rejected by a machine. And I did take the time to read what you sent in and I did consider it seriously. I'm with you. Like my other pet peeve is to say, we've had an overwhelming response. Okay. So who fucking cares? Like you're yep. talking to me, like I'm one person and making it sound like, again, I think the downfall of recruitment in general is I'm so busy. Yeah. But there was a, I, I remember so a story busy. a couple weeks ago about a TA professional who uh, responded to all 272 applicants personally over the course of three hours, took her three hours to do it all. Mm -hmm. And I called her out as a, an HR hero because hey, no one does that today. And I thought it was a great example of just putting the human back into HR a bit. And she got a bunch of responses back from candidates thanking her. Yeah. And her name's Tanya, give you a shout out. Her name's Tanya Giles. She's a talent consultant who, who did that recently. And round Tanya of applause Giles. for Tanya there. Yep. <laughs> there is an art and science to rejection overall. Obviously the other words matter, but you talk about things like the timing of it, of it, right? Yeah. Uh, found a posting on Twitter recently and it said, uh, just got a rejection email from a company I applied to nine months ago. And here I thought I had it in the bag, she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> that happens way too often in recruiting. And, um, oh, brutal, brutal. Got to, boom. got to reject these people <laughs> in a timely manner. It's, that's my one is, yeah. is you know, do it within one to yeah. two weeks of them yeah. applying. If you're never going to hire, if you're never going to interview them, you know, do that mass rejection, do it within one to two weeks and, uh, and be done with it. Let them move on. The job seeker just wants to know. Yeah. Uh, and you're holding them back at that point. You're keeping their hopes up if you're not rejecting them in a timely manner. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times they're going to stop searching because they really want that job. But uh, if, if, you're not, if they're not getting it, just tell them right away, take the bandaid off and, and push it out there. I agree. Uh, I agree. So talk about job rejobify. Tell us about that. How does, how is that helping the candidate experience and what is it? Yeah. So it's a rejection email service. There's tech for this. It's, it's a low tech piece of HR tech you're ever going to install. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that's one of the best things about it actually. But yeah, so what we do is 
We take your an employer's uh, rejection email, which is usually housed within their ATS. They send that to us. We'll change the wording a bit to make it sound nicer. And then we embed an offer in there, a link to, uh, as a thank you for them taking the time to apply, to click that link and get a bunch of job search resources for free to help them move on in their job search. So it's a way to give back to the seekers who apply to you that you're not going to hire and give them some resources and tools and assistance to continue their job search wherever that may take them overall. It's a great sort of uh, way to change the table, change the, the dynamic of that rejection email rather than just rejecting them outright, which is an entirely negative experience all the way around. Mm -hmm. um, it's a way to change that dynamic and actually put some value back into the rejection email for the candidate. At the same time, helping to change the perception of you as an employer into a more empathetic employee who actually cares about every candidate who applies to your company, not just the ones you're going to hire. So, and that's Tell what me why everybody on. doesn't do this. I, Chris, like honest question. to God, why doesn't everyone do this? And it doesn't take, regardless if you use Jobify <laughs> or not, it's not that hard. It just right. takes a little effort in terms of giving them something. Quick example, Johnson & Johnson, a couple of years ago, re revamped all their communication templates within their hiring process. So, you know, the, all the emails that go out to the candidates, well, the rejection is part of that as well. And they partnered with, I think, the Muse to put a bunch of just job search advice into these templates, mm -hmm. to help them on, help them uh, prepare for an interview, things like that. Yeah. And lo and behold, their rejection email was sent to this woman named Linda Beltran. This was on LinkedIn from last year, mm -hmm. which again, I wrote about it on the uh, Rejabify blog. She publicly thanked Johnson & Johnson for rejecting her purely based on the words in that email that they sent to her. And uh, to me, that's employer brain you can't buy today, right? Wow. I mean, yeah, it is. I was yeah. You, she got contacted by two other Johnson & Johnson managers at the company who may have offered her a job or something. But that's just proof right there that the rejection email matters. And it's part of your employer branding. There's just no two ways around it. Here, I, I love that how you've connected. This is about your brand and your reputation. Exactly. How you treat people you didn't hire defines who you are. Chris, exactly. absolutely. Is Rejobify expensive? Is there any barrier for companies to do this? No, it's 120 bucks a month for the average oh. company. Oh, and, come um, on. It's a no-brainer. Okay, opinion. folks out there, everybody, you have a mandate to implement Rejobify by the end of May. Yeah, it's not that Okay. Not and, uh, yeah, we have Canadian clients as well. So Surge is one of those in the past. Yeah. From, uh, I'm at Burnco and Bruce, the uh, Dielson there, sent me a bunch of emails back from seekers he got. Yes. Uh, that's that thanked him. That thanked him for sending, mm. uh, giving the resources that job if I gave them. Okay. I think it should be mandatory. It should be. It should, it should be. Honest <laughs> to God. Chris, I hope everybody picks this one up. And especially today, today's, today's you know environment with COVID and everything else, empathy is like the new word being thrown around HR. Yeah. And if you're not willing to back that up, then don't say you're an empathetic employer. So uh, as you mentioned, Chris, I was a Rejobify customer and I can't see why anyone would not use it. First of all, the bang for your buck is great. Saves a ton of time because like you said, you could pull these all together and create a similar template. But why would you do that? Why would you go to an implementation? Why would you manage it? I think this is a perfect service. I didn't want to ask one last question about Rejobify. So one of the things that I attempted at a company that focuses, has a retail aspect to it is actually giving 
on top of it, a discount at a retail location to drive traffic. What's your overall thoughts about adding if you're in retail or you have a consumer product of adding some type mm-hmm. of discount to those candidates? Yeah, great point. And that's another example. It's part of my best practices is if, if you are a B2C company, you can actually take your rejected applicants and turn them into customers by a coupon code or a discount code. A couple of quick examples. Like one of our clients on Rejabify, the eye care group, which is based in uh, St. Louis, they have a bunch of uh, eye care centers around the Midwest, has a 50% discount code on their Rejabify page for their rejected candidates. Brother, another example, put in a discount code to a, a printer so you can print your resume, for example, to their rejected candidates. And uh, there's a famous example of Virgin Atlantic giving out flight vouchers to a lot of their rejected candidates this was years ago, which resulted in $9 million in sales, something like that. So yeah, wow. if you are a B2C person, a company, you can really take that rejected candidate and turn it to a customer as well. And that's just a no-brainer again, in my opinion. I think it is because if you look at most major companies, they're getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of candidates that they have to reject mm-hmm. and leveraging that, giving them a great employer brand experience and then giving them an option to go buy your services. Hey, who's not going to take that? If they don't end up buying, you haven't lost really anything. So we want to talk about, we want to shift gears a little bit and want to talk about the gig platform world. Uh, as we know, as some major players are getting in that space. So the ones that we're all aware of is the Upwork of the worlds, the Fivers, the TopTal. But now we're starting to see in the different industries and it's really interesting to see LinkedIn and Indeed really dive into the gig platform. What's your overall thoughts? Yeah, everyone wants a piece of the gig economy. Yeah. That's for sure. There's a rumor of LinkedIn launching their own a new gig platform in mm-hmm. September. So we'll have to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Indeed just launched, they've been working on it for a while, but gigs.indeed.com. And yeah. there's been some uproar actually about that because they're taking all the gig jobs off of the main Indeed site, putting them onto the gig platform and all those companies are losing traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's another aspect of that. Indeed's also... Not to harp on them, but they're throwing in my, I just had a big discussion on Facebook this morning with somebody about the Indeed uh, gig platform. They're lumping in nursing jobs alongside of the door dashes of the world. And to me, that's a mistake. Nurses don't go to gig platforms to find work. They go to healthcare sites or the main Indeed site to find these types of, of, of gigs. And I think the gig worker is being defined by the door dashes and the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world now. I think when you say the word gig, the average person thinks it's a side hustle, it's an Uber job, it's a a Lyft, DoorDash, right? Mm -hmm. So they're defining what the new gig is. And I think it's a mistake for Indeed to include other professional type stuff in there around there. Why do you think they're doing that? And is it because- I don't know. I I think technically it's a gig to them because it's a shift work for, it's a shift of a nurse that you can just basically go get, which I guess is true, but- in reality, it doesn't really match what the job seeker audience is looking for, in my opinion. So I think it's just a little bit of a, a misstep there on their part. If you look in professional type roles, so obviously there's the Uber, the DoorDash, those types of positions, but we're starting to see a lot of uptake with creative professionals. Uh, I think there's a story of this lady on Upwork that's showcasing how she's gotten to a point she's making 500000 a year, just taking copywriting gigs. She has the ability to write a technical document in two hours, I think it is. Yeah. So it's really impressive. I think we're going to see that more in two space. I think we're seeing in the tech space as well. We're seeing with TopTel, we're seeing it with, with Upwork is on the creative space. Do you think there's a limit of the types of jobs that are going to be considered gig jobs? I think it's going to be pretty, pretty wide range. And I think there's a, a nichification going on of gig work across many industries. 
if you look at the sites that are coming out now, a few examples, marketer hire for marketing gigs, yeah. uh, for graphic design stuff, you get things like Creatively, uh, 99 Designs, Fiverr, of course. There's one called Boone. It's for temp healthcare workers, right? So I've got one called HR Lancers for, uh, for HR freelancers and freelance recruiters as well. And so I think we are going to see this nichification of almost every industry who has any type of freelance work in it you're going to see a platform come around or a marketplace come around to help support that economy and to help these companies find these workers. I do think that overall too, I think the uh, full-time role is slowly being chipped away at with freelance work. And I think 10, 20 years from now, a full-time role with benefits is going to be a more of a premium job to have yeah. um, in the economy overall, um, because you're going to see a lot more people freelancing and you know working for themselves. Is there anything that you don't do? Because uh, so <laughs> I, 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 I was going to talk about HR Lancers. I'm a jack of all trades, master of some, Serge. Master of some, exactly. <laughs> so HR Lancers is interesting because we're starting to see a lot in the recruitment space, the HR space, a lot of gig type work. When did you launch it? Tell me the story behind HR Lancers. Yeah, so I started it January 2020. So right before the pandemic, of course. And uh, that first month we had like a ton of uh, press and 5,000 visitors. And I got a ton of, you know, just compliments on uh, people wishing this site existed. Now it finally does. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing some of my own freelance work after I left my last corporate job in, in 2015 or 16. And I was using Upwork, for example, hated the fact that I had to pay a 20% tax to Upwork for my freelance work. I was more like 10% is okay, but 20%, that's a bit much, especially on a bigger project, which is mm -hmm. a lot of what I was doing on there. And I thought coming from the job board space and looking at the different niche gig platforms that were out there. I said, why can't HR have a site of its own? I knew a lot of other HR freelancers already. And I just didn't think they were being served enough. Even like LinkedIn's ProFinder, yeah, try and go on there and find an HR gig. It's impossible. It's just, it's just buried everywhere. And then LinkedIn is where HR lives essentially. So I really thought a, the industry could support a site like that and, and get it out there. So it's all for project-based work, temporary freelance, part-time type roles in HR recruiting. It's got over 6,000 registered users on there today, hundreds of different uh, listings on there. And it's starting to gain traction this year. I think COVID really kind of set it back a bit in terms of the overall uh, the business model there. But uh, this year, definitely seen a st more steady stream of employers coming to post and uh, and a more steady stream of candidates also uh, creating profiles and things like that. So I'm pretty bullish on it. It's, it takes time to build a marketplace search. For me, it's a hands-off project where you know I've, I've hired a couple of people on there to help run things, but it's it's a site that kind of runs itself. It's an e-commerce business almost. Mm -hmm. And I set up a lot of automation on there to help grow the platform. My timeline with it is, is year three is really where I think it'll start to, to monetize itself better and um, become more of, more of a, a player in the space. It's just a matter of educating the market out there that, it, that exists. And I think HR still has a lot of, you're seeing, especially in the small business space, you're seeing a lot of HR freelancers get hired to do work. Hasn't reached the enterprise level yet, but I think it will over time. As Serge said, there's so many things you're involved in. I think you're best known for being an expert in the job board space. I want to touch on that with you if I could. I think there's a lot of, because there's such big, like gigantic job boards and that being the two or three big players in Canada and the U.S., what is the word on the street for niche job boards? How are they doing? They're doing pretty well by most accounts. Um, I talk to them almost weekly. Part of what I do is I consult for other job board owners, 
helping okay. to grow their businesses. A quick plug to uh, jobboardsecrets.com. To give you a quick example, I talked to a guy uh, this week who had started this community for uh, event marketing professionals. Okay. It's got tens of thousands of users on it. This year, he said he's gotten like 2,000 job postings already this year on it. And he's starting to turn on the monetization for that. And there's lots of sites like that out there, these little communities you've never heard of. Yeah that have an audience of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And when you have an audience like that, you can add jobs to the mix and, and uh, make money and help companies hire as well. And so uh, I'm seeing just a ton of interest in that space uh, in the last you know couple of years, especially since Google and Facebook got into the job board business. And it, it seems to have uh, you know strong legs. And if you can build an audience around a certain topic, certain industry, you can do well with a job board as, as part of the, the revenue stream. I there. see. I, yeah. Help companies hire. Okay. You just kicked open a door, Chris. I'm going to yep. walk through it. Okay. <laughs> I am <laughs> yeah, dying here. Shelly. So I have certainly my experience and my opinion on Google for jobs and Facebook. And it's just, it's such a bad experience. Google for jobs. It's just a nightmare. It's doing so much damage to the candidate experience. What is 2021 looking like in your opinion, in your expert opinion, especially with these two big players coming in? Tell me what's your crystal ball telling you? Google Google for jobs. Let's start with there. So number one, I don't think Google's ever going to monetize that. I know some people think they will. They certainly could do it. There's money there to be made. But I don't think they have an appetite for doing that. I think that they're under pressure from regulators about antitrust stuff, oh, yeah. uh, especially mm-hmm. in Europe right now. A bunch of job boards sued them over there. And I don't think they're going to touch monetizing jobs because of mm-hmm. that. And just because they're that's not their core business overall. They would have to build a whole another way to do PPC on, on Google that doesn't exist right now. If you told an HR person, go, go on to uh, Google AdWords and try and buy job mm-hmm. ads, their head's going to explode. <laughs> There's no way they can do it. that. That that interface is so complex now and hard to use. You uh, it need takes a degree. expert marketer to use like, it. Exactly. I think you have to have a certificate or something. You do. You do. I, mean, I struggle with it, and I you know I've, yeah. I've been using it for years. Yeah. Um, but they just they keep they keep throwing on all kinds of new features and tools. It's a mess yeah. now. It's hard to use. Even like Google Analytics too, which is a whole other story. But so, you know, the overall user experience on Google for Jobs. Eh, it's, it could be better, definitely. I'll give them credit in one aspect, which is that if you look at traffic from Google for Jobs, whether it comes to your job board or your employer website, yeah, that's really good traffic. That that person stays in your site longer. They apply to more jobs. They click more pages. And so that user is pretty valuable if you can get them. Problem is, as a job board owner, if you have a small job board with you know, a few hundred jobs on there, you're not getting much traffic off Google for jobs. You're getting maybe a couple hundred visitors, clicks, one or two clicks per job, maybe, basically, yeah. on those listings. Uh, but it is good traffic if you can get it overall. Cool. Okay. First positive thing I've heard. Chris, <laughs> talk about Facebook. Well, their job marketplace is it's eating away at Craigslist, first of all. Craigslist is definitely being hurt by Facebook jobs. I think it's a pretty good platform overall. I remember I saw a listing on there last year. I forwarded it to my daughter and she applied and she got it. So it works. It's definitely better for blue collar stuff from that perspective. But mm-hmm. you're, you're, what they're doing now is they're also integrating with the ATS system. So there are companies who can get their jobs on there. So if you're in the blue collar industry, entry level space, even things like healthcare and nursing, I think are useful on there. You can actually integrate your listings in there. And so when somebody applies, it goes into your ATS. There's a great company called JobSync who's also helping with that uh, connection as well. 
Love those guys. Yes. He's actually coming on yeah. next week. Yeah. So one of the things with Facebook marketplace or Facebook jobs that I came across as a customer and having my ATS integrated is a lot of candidates would apply from Facebook. Then when the application would come into your ATS, it was the resume that came in was basically they pulled a profile from Facebook's yes. your backend, what you've put, and it's, it's not accurate. So I would get hundreds of applications with no relevant information. And yeah. I don't That's think the, the candidates knew. It relies on the Facebook user's profile, yeah. which if you actually take the time to go in there, you can actually build a, almost a resume in there. If you took the time to as a candidate, problem is most people don't. What's so, interesting, I tested that. So I went in and built my full profile and applied to my own job. Yeah. And there was missing 80% of the information that I had filled in. Uh, so okay. I don't know if this is over a year ago, so maybe that's been fixed. But I thought it was an interesting as far as the candidate experiences, they think they were applying for a job. But then when the hiring manager would look at the resume, they're like, this is shit. Like, why would yeah. this person apply? Then I had to explain to the hiring managers, Actually, it's probably not their fault. It's probably because of how the info was gathered from Facebook and they didn't yeah. realize they didn't have all the info in that. But uh, let's jump into a couple. So we talked about ZipRecruiter. There's ZipRecruiter, there's Talent.com that I'm keeping a really close eye. Talent.com, I'm a big fan. They're Canadian. Love even the thought of Nouveau, which is the proper pronunciation just for <laughs> you got it, Chad. Say it again. Or Nouveau. 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 That was the smartest um, thing we ever did was buying that domain name. Uh, I know. I think it was time for them to change over to talent.com. So I am thinking that ZipRecruiter will not be going to IPO. I strongly feel that they're going to get bought by Recruit. And I do think talent.com will go to IPO, but I don't think it'll be this year. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Before, on the, when I was on the Chad and She show, the news about Zip's IPO had not come out yet. So I was so right now, so I'm saying that they're going public. I and mean, it looks like they're having okay. an investor day. They're having an investor day next week. Yeah. I'm going to go to online and check it out. But um, I read their S1 filing, lots of interesting data in there about the uh, the job board business, if you want to uh, geek out on that stuff. It's, in fact, it's said in the S1, they expect the stock price to be around 25 bucks a share surge, little mm. known fact. And I, I think they will go public. I think they have to now because they've you know had $200 million in funding, either that or get bought. So it, you know, yeah, you could be right. I don't. I give you some some credence there, but we'll have to see. But and I think uh, Joel put out. Joel Cheeseman said that the date might be in September. I think no, May. I'm sorry, May. Yeah, no, they're aiming for May, which seems yeah. really quick. I just can't see Indeed sitting or recruit the owner of Indeed and Glassdoor sitting back with like and they have the brink truck that they can back up. They've got plenty yeah. of cash. If they were smart. They take out the player like they did with Glassdoor and simply hired. Yeah. Just get rid of competition. That's I've been their uh, mo. Because in reality, who are they worried about? There's really no one they should be really concerned about outside of Google for jobs. Yeah, I mean, ZipRecruiter is, indeed is 10 times the size of their next you know, competitor. Yeah. Um, so they're the 800 pound gorilla in the room. So what's your thoughts around talent.com? What's going to happen with them? I like the company. I think they're doing a great job at it. If Indeed is ever going to have a competitor, it's going to be them, I think, because they're growing strongly in, in other countries. Yeah. They're going to have to basically create some kind of consumer marketing campaign here in the US to become a brand name though. Mm -hmm. If you look at it now, the two big brand names in Jobster space are Zip and Indeed. Yeah. And they've done that because they've spent millions and millions of internet marketing and consumer-based yeah. ads time and time again for the last five, you know, five six years. And so uh, if talent.com wants to be a competitor, they're going to have to do the same thing in my opinion. 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because in Canada and other parts of the world, they've actually gained quite a bit of market share. They just haven't been able to make really any traction in the US, which like look at ZipRecruiter's budget. You're completely right. How much have they spent just in podcast ads? Uh, like oh, it's got to total up in the 10. 10- and old school news. Like they're on oh. the radio, every channel. You can turn the channel and they're on the radio everywhere. I was watching the Major League Baseball channel yesterday and they were on there. They were doing in the Indeed uh, or ZipRecruiter resume, something like that. Just Indeed is advertising on baseball. So what other innovation do you think is coming up that's going to be trending in 2021? Anything that you're seeing on the horizon? So not from a kind of a singular tech standpoint, I would say that overall, what I think is is coming up, sir, is basically is the can experience. Everything from making things easy to apply to digital onboarding so people can just sign their docs on, on the web. I think it's all about creating a frictionless experience. And I think you're seeing vendors come out with that sort of mm-hmm. uh, feature set, that sort of messaging to employers out there. And that's really what it's all about. It's about making the the process more human and uh, making it easier for candidates around all that stuff, whether it's a chat bot or personalizing the experience with job matches, texting instead of emailing. It's all about the candidate experience now. And you're seeing just the vendors really go after that facet of recruiting to make things easier for the candidate. Cause it is all about the candidate now with the, with the dearth of candidates out there, you have to have an awesome experience as a default, just to have the minimum people apply to your company, right? If you don't have that technology in place, then you're way behind the companies who are at the forefront of that. And you're losing money essentially now because there's just not enough candidates. And if your technology sucks around how to attract them, then God help you. <laughs> yeah, you will a lose. good candidate experience is table stake right now. In, in this market, as we've talked quite a bit, it, it is absolutely insane out there. So Chris, amazing insights as always. Uh, really good to hear about uh, rejecting candidates because in reality, we could all be doing a better job on that end, talking about mm-hmm. the gay platform. And I think it's going to be a crazy year for job boards. We'll get you back on at the end of this year to get a sense of what our predictions were and if it worked out. But yeah. Chris, if our audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Awesome. Yeah, well, appreciate you guys having me on again, uh, Serge and Shelley. It's always a pleasure. I had a great conversation today and looking forward to exciting times in recruiting in 2021. So uh, at Chris Russell on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, of course, and uh, visit regtechmedia.com or rejobify.com. Learn more about that product. Jack of all trades, masters of some. Of Chris most. Russell, thank you for coming on. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.